Have you ever wondered why some police chiefs and some sheriffs are more successful than their counterparts? Now, you're probably thinking of a variety of reasons right now, but I'm willing to bet one of those is relationships. You see, the truly successful know how to develop, cultivate, and sustain those positive relationships, not only within their community in which they serve, but within their organization in which they lead. So many senior law enforcement executives, I believe, are just lost to this. Either they don't care or they don't think it's a priority. My next guest is Sheriff Leon Lott. He is the sheriff of Richland County, South Carolina. Now, Richland County is one of the largest sheriff's departments in the southeastern United States and is often referred to as America's law enforcement agency. It is also routinely featured on Live PD. Sheriff Lott is a 43-year career law enforcement officer who has served as the sheriff of Richland County for more than 20 years. He is doing something right, obviously. You are going to love Sheriff Leon Lott next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Patrick here. Thank you for tuning in, whatever you were doing, wherever you were at. Thank you for spending a, a little bit of your valuable time with us. That's why we continue to grow. That's why we're the number one criminal justice podcast because of you. Thank you so much. Big shout out to our first responders out there, brave men and women working in a very difficult environment, whatever you were doing, maybe you're a first responder, maybe you're working somewhere else in the criminal justice field. Thank you for your service. You are doing what most can't. Remember, you are cherished, honored, and above all, you are loved. I want to give a big shout out to our partner, Detecticam. This amazing and innovative company is helping keep our first responders and military personnel safer by offering mobile threat detection for the palm of your hand, detecting explosives, drugs. I wish they had this technology when I was a young officer. You can find out more by going to cjevolution.com, clicking the link to Detecticam. Let them help keep your troops safer. You know, folks, if you're in charge of your extra duty program within your organization and you're trying to juggle that along with every other project and assignment you got going on, let me tell you about my friends at Extra Duty Solutions. Now, Extra Duty Solutions helps law enforcement agencies add efficiency and effectiveness to their extra duty programs while allowing them to focus on what really matters, and that is the safety of their citizens. They can help with client interactions, scheduling, invoicing, collections, officer payments, feedback, problem resolution, and so much more. Now, extra duty solution services are provided at no cost to the department and a minimal cost to the clients, and programs can be customized to meet the goals and unique needs of the agency. Now, again, if you are struggling to keep up with your extra duty program, reach out to extradutysolutions.com. That's extradutysolutions.com. Tell them Patrick from CJ Evolution sent you. Folks, if you're working in the criminal justice field, maybe you're a first responder, first and foremost, thank you for your service. But I know a lot of you face personal and professional obstacles. We all do. Or maybe you want to make a transition out of law enforcement into the private sector and you feel stuck. My Evolve Personal Coaching is for you. I've helped many criminal justice professionals reignite that fire, develop more resiliency, become more successful in their personal professional lives. Remember all those things that you had when you were a young law enforcement or criminal justice professional that kind of got lost along the way, let's rekindle that fire within you. Let's hop on that discovery call and get you on your path to greatness. Head over to cjevolution.com. You're going to see a link to my coaching. Let's hop on that discovery call right now. 
on to the show with Sheriff Leon Lott. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Very excited to have Richland County Sheriff Leon Lott on the podcast. Are you there, sir? Good. How are you? I'm glad to be with you today. Well, sir, I'm glad you're here. And first and foremost, thank you for your many, many years uh, of experience to this uh, noble profession. And I always ask law enforcement, sir, uh, why did you get into law enforcement, Sheriff? What was the catalyst? Getting arrested. <laughs> I'm sorry. Getting arrested. I was arrested at 16 uh, oh, wow, for, okay. egging, for egging police cars. Egging police cars. Egging police cars and <laughs> time to turn my life around. And then in college, when I was making that decision on what my career was going to be, it, it's uh, that arrest and trouble I got into it changed my life in a, in a good direction. And thought, well, I want to do the same thing for other people. So that was the catalyst for me being a law enforcement officer. Nice. Now, did you have mentors or somebody that you connected with? Uh, as an officer or you have sheriff that you could talk to and kind of get more information before you took the leap or what? No, not really. It was just the impact that the officers had the night that um, I got arrested and what I had to do later on washing cars and running uh, wind sprints at football practice as a <laughs> punishment to hold me accountable. But just the impact it had on me and, and realizing the consequences of my actions and that I needed to go through a different path in life than what I was on at that time. Yeah. And for people who don't know, you lead one of the largest sheriff's departments in the southeastern United States, correct, sir? That's correct. We are, we're definitely the largest one in South Carolina and probably uh, most of the southeast. Wow. And how is it? I mean, it, it, I mean I've mean, i never, I mean, I retired from a very, relatively small agency compared to the, your sheriff's uh, department now. Um, it's a thousand agents or a thousand sheriffs or, or deputies, yeah, I'm sorry. We're, we're close to about 800 uh, police officers here and deputy sheriffs, and then probably about another 100 to 150 per, uh, support personnel. Yeah. A little, little bit under 1,000. And now how is, really quick, Sheriff, I mean, you, you read the news. Uh, I was in law enforcement for a while. A lot of challenges out there uh, for the profession. Uh, attrition rates, depending on where you're at in the country, are, are pretty high. How do you recruit and retain some of the best and brightest? Well, we're very fortunate. We don't do any recruiting, uh, uh, formal recruiting. Our people are recruiters, just the fact that they're out working every day and, and the good job that they do. Um, that they're out there every day, and that's where people see us and hear about us and, and want to come to work here. We actually have a waiting list of people ready to come to work here, which is kind of unique uh, just about anywhere in law enforcement. Uh, so we've been fortunate that way, and live PD is one, one of the things that have helped us out, and we yeah. didn't realize that would be a benefit of um, live PD would be the fact that nationwide people would see our department and the professionalism and want to come to work here. So that was an extra benefit that we got out of live PD, but our people are, are the ones who sell us. Well, I think that helps, but I think it's also testament to the, the leadership within the agency, sir, right? I mean, because it's great that you're on live PD, but I think yeah, there's more to that. I mean, it's the leadership. It's the people – work for the department it's it's the great people right i mean it's it's got the leadership's got to be part of it or a big part of it well that, that is part of it and stability and mm -hmm. the fact that 
you know, I started at the very bottom as a cop, and I've done everything that a deputy is asked to do, and I don't mind getting out there and doing it again. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I've walked in the shoes. I've worked a midnight shift, and, uh, you know, so I think I can relate a lot better than, say, some executives in law enforcement who, who didn't do that and, you know, went up too fast and, you know, didn't have to get out there and work all at night. Um, I think that has an impact on it, and the fact that, uh, I believe in my people and I support them. Um, we may not pay the most, but we're going to give the best training and the best support and the best equipment that we can. So yeah. my goal is my, my main goal is to take care of the people that work here. Yeah. And, I, and that's a, such a great point, Sheriff, because money is important. But I think what a lot of people care about is, are they happy to go to work? Do they have a good quality of life? Are, are they money? Again, money's important. We all want it, but I remember some of the best times I ever had as a as a patrol officer. I wasn't making very much money, but I was happy. I was at great leadership, and I, I was pumped to go to work. And yeah, I I, I don't think you know don't. I, I remember hearing uh, from younger officers before I retired. You know, a lot of them they don't uh, they don't uh, live to work. They work to live. You know what I mean? Right. And again, if you go work somewhere where you feel like you're appreciated, that your supervisors and uh, command staff, you know like you and care about you and going to take care of you and the community cares about you, then, you know, that's, that, that's a lot of job satisfaction right there. So it's not so much in the paycheck. It's just a satisfaction you get out of knowing that people really care about you and appreciate what you do every day. Mm -hmm. Now you talk a lot about, sir, about, you know, uh, police officers serving uh, as peace officers in their communities and that, that I'm assuming centers around community policing. Can you talk a little bit about that and how important that is for uh, agencies to engage in? Well, you go to the Bible and it says, blessed are the peacemakers yeah. that they be the children of God. So we were called police officers and peacemakers way back in the Bible. And I think for a period of time, we got away from that and we came just law enforcement and that we're, we were out there just enforcing the law. That's just a small part of what we do. We're really out there keeping the peace. And, you know, if that's visiting a senior citizen or teaching a young person to dare program, now, that's not enforcing the law, but you're keeping the peace and you're helping people. We're a helping profession. And so we put peace officer on the back of our card, just a you know, a kinder, gentler um, definition on who we are. And I think people relate to that. And they see us as someone that's good in the community and not just uh, out there when something bad's going on. Yeah, and I love what you say about you got to go out there and, you know, you got to educate the citizens. you got to educate your, educate your communities. Um, because, I mean, that, that's what really I think is important with what you're doing and a lot of agencies should be doing is getting out of your cars, walking around. I used to tell my officers, get out of your cars, go talk to people, make connections, make at least three or four connections a week, go talk to the business owners, community members. Those are the connections that are going to pay, you know, down the road. And that's what people will remember with their, with their law enforcement, right? Yeah, and, and that's so true. You can't build a relationship with someone going 50 miles an hour down the road or sitting <laughs> on MDT in your car. Now, we've got a lot of good equipment. You have a lot of technology in cars, but there's nothing beats that one-on-one -on -one communication with someone and building a relationship when they can look you in the eye and you can look them in the eye and have that conversation with them. And that's what you have to do. You do have to get out of that car and get, get with the people, the yeah. people that you're working for, the people that you serve. You have to get out and, and, and communicate with them. And I don't, I don't care how much technology we have or how much technology we acquire uh, going forward. I don't think anything will ever take the place of that human connection, that human interaction. Correct. Correct. And that goes back to the, 
the old days when the cop on the beat just walked around and talked to everybody. Now it's, it's the same concept. We just now, instead of walking the beat, you get out of the car and you go to a school, you go to a park, you walk through a neighborhood and just go, go talk to people. Yeah, yeah. Now I want to shift gears a little bit, Sheriff. In, in 2010, you traveled to Iraq and you were invited by the Iraqi government to help that just devastated country establish its first ever female police academy. Congratulations, sir. That's quite a honor. Can you talk about that experience and what you brought to that country? Well, I think that we promote everybody that's equal in a law enforcement agency. Uh, our female deputies are no different than the male deputies, and they've been promoted, and we give them all the opportunities that everybody has. And I think that word spread out, and so the Iraqi government found out what we have done and invited us to come over because they were having issues having Iraqi female police officers. Um, mm-hmm. Just just some difficulties. So we came up, I came over along with a female captain, and we were able to go to their police academy and, and just show them that you can be successful. And it was very eye-opening from the very beginning when we got there where the trainers would not touch a female police officer or recruit and when by the time we left they were they were able to put hands on with them and, and show them what they needed to be doing so it was very beneficial to not only to us but to them and we kept communications with them uh, they've traveled over here they've had delegations come over here and see firsthand what we do and been able to take that back to iraq and i think it's impacted positively what's uh, went on in uh, northern iraq now, are any other agencies, Sheriff, you would know, I mean, are any other agencies engaged in something like this? Because it's the first time I've, I've heard about that with a law enforcement agency. That's the only one, I, we're the only one I know of that went over there with one mission, and that was to help develop a female Iraqi police officer. Yeah. Now, the culture over there is a lot different than yeah. our culture here, so we had to break some cultural barriers. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Just from the very beginning with our female captain, uh, the instructors in their police academy were standoffish to her. When we got ready to leave, they were hugging. I mean, that just just the fact that they were touching females uh, was something different than they were not used to, and we brought that to them. And they stopped looking at them as just a female. They looked at them as a police officer now. Now, just digging a little bit more deeper in that, now what, what is their style of, I mean, do you, you can you go into what you actually taught them, sir? Just the fact that you to correct someone when you're doing training that you're going to have to touch them, you're okay. going to have to show them uh, that a female police officer is no different than a male police officer. Okay. And again, females were viewed a little bit different in that culture, and you know, when you have that uniform on, it's you're a police officer, and your authority is the authority that you have with that uniform, not because you're a male or a female. Mm-hmm. So we had to do a lot of talking, and the female police officers had to understand that uh, you have a, a very important role in that country, and you need to stand up, and you need to, you know, if it comes to the time that you have to arrest someone that's a male, you don't have to go hands-on, and you don't have to do what you have to do, and that was different, and so we changed attitudes a little bit. Yeah, well, that's amazing, amazing work. Now, uh, another thing that listeners might not know is under your leadership, sir, you know, your sheriff's department was the first law enforcement agency in the nation to establish a pre-PTSD conditioning program for deputies and all other officers. Can you talk about that program? Because I think it's an amazing idea. Yeah, it, it surprised me and disappointed me that nobody else had done that. And some years ago, 
I asked, uh, you know, started researching uh, who does something like this. Because we do a great job once somebody is involved in a traumatic experience. We do a lot of good programs and afterwards. And I'm saying, okay, well, let's get them prepared. Uh, Who does that? And nationwide, nobody did. So we took our officers who had been involved in traumatic experiences, who had been shot or had to shoot someone or just, you know, and they were dealing with PTSD. And I said, okay, what can we do here? To get people prepared. You develop the course, and I want you to teach the course. So every deputy here has to go through that course yearly, and where you have someone that works here, most of them are in ranking positions now, they'll get up and they'll talk about their experience and what they um, had to live through and what they're doing now to, uh, to adapt and manage PTSD. And this is what's going to happen if you're involved in traumatic experience. So we'll get people prepared. You know, the Boy Scouts model is always be uh, be prepared, but we were not prepared in law enforcement and and getting our people ready if something happens. Yeah. So now we do. Yeah, and I think that's, again, amazing because I still think, at least in my part of the world here in Colorado, uh, I wish, because I'm in the academies uh, instructing sometimes, and it just seems like we could be still doing a lot more, um, you know, with preparing our young men and women because they're midnight. I know the curriculums are just packed in the academies, but I think – at least here, we need to do be doing a lot more with uh, educating, you know, uh, before they go to their agencies, educating them more on how to take care of themselves better because it, it does linger and it can come back to haunt you later on. And it's not just physically, it's mentally. Exactly. You know, our, our jobs are, as, as CEOs and head of agencies is, is, is to take care of our people. And, and we do that physically, but sometimes we forget that we have to do it mentally too. So that, yeah. that's a overall part of what we have to do to take care of them and it's they're going to see it you're not going to be in law enforcement today without being exposed at some point to some traumatic experience you need to be prepared on uh, what your reaction is going to be what's going to happen how you're going to feel and if you do that then you get prepared then then you may not lose your career and unfortunately i saw too many cops lose their career over not being able to deal with something that they were involved in and i blame that on the agency i don't that on the individual i blame that on the agency for not getting them prepared well i i agree with you sir i mean it's the agency and i think we still in some to some degree i still think uh many agencies have a culture of well if somebody uh, if there's a, a cry for help or need for assistance, I think some agencies view that. And I'm talking about the upper echelon in leadership. I think sometimes they view that as a as a weakness, and so uh, instead of a strength, with coming forward and saying, "Look, I have a problem. I want to get better." Uh, I don't know in my agency uh, for a while, I man, it was kind of shunned upon, and you didn't do that because uh, you were weak. You got to suck it up and go forward. So uh, I'm glad the culture. Uh, changes, and I'm glad your agency is spearheading that or has spearheaded that, sir. You have to do that. Uh, you know, it's not a sign of weakness in the, the call for help. To me, that's a sign of strength that you recognize that um, that you need something and to reach out that just going to make you stronger. So it's not a – but, it's, again, you have to change that culture, and it starts at the top. So we've taken the top and we've put it all the way down to the bottom that it's okay to ask for help. And we've also trained our people to recognize when someone needs help, if they may not ask for it themselves. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, so-and-so needs some help. You might need to check on them. So yeah. We, yeah. we want to create that culture of taking care of each other. Yeah. I mean, our brave men and women are experts at going in there and taking care of other people's problems, but sometimes they, they can't take care of their own. Wow. Um, 
Now, sir, let's get back to some challenges. I know we talked about it a, a little bit before, but what other challenges do you do you see going forward as a, as a senior executive? You have that fifty thousand square foot or, or, or fifty thousand foot view of everything. What's what are some of the challenges that you see going forward for uh, law enforcement? That communities have to reach out to the diversified communities they have. I think sometimes we wait for people to come to us and it's our responsibility to go out and build relationships with all the different communities that we've got. Uh, we have to build a relationship with them. Now, we serve everybody in our community, so our job would be to go out there and do that. Um, technology, keeping up with technology. Um, you know, technology changes every single day, but we have to know the place for technology. It just can't replace that human interaction and our younger generation is um, you know very technology savvy they rely <laughs> on everything for technology uh, you know you'll sit at a table and somebody across the table and you won't talk to them but you'll text across the table with them and yeah. now that's 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 it's got its place and time for that but just that human re interaction uh, we got reinforced that with our young cops it's very important that you go out and you talk to people. Use technology, but there's a place for it. Yeah, yeah. And I love what you, uh, I love the study that showed, and I know you did this with your patrol uh, cars, uh, peace officer, you know, by changing the words to peace officer, 95% of citizens feel safer and 91% of officers feel community relationships are improved. That's amazing that, right. you know, just changing of, of a few words can uh, create that uh, reaction psychologically and a positive outcome. It's amazing. And it changes the image. I mean, just that image. Mm -hmm. when, you know, if it said law enforcement officer or police officer, then that image is, you know, somebody's done something wrong and we're reacting to it. But peace officer just has, you know, just that calming effect to it. Now, so, did you, before you did that, uh, Sheriff, did you have any pushback to that? Because I imagine there was some. What? Not really. Uh -huh. uh, we really didn't have any pushback to it. I think the people here that uh, go out and work every day, you know, that's what they're striving to do is build relationships and find different ways that we can uh, build on what we're already doing. And I think most people realize, hey, this is just another tool that we've got and, and you know, trying to accomplish what we want to do every single day. Yeah. Well, Sheriff, oh, and one thing I wanted to mention. Now, Sheriff, in, in, in addition to being the sheriff of uh, Richland County, you're also – you also command the South Carolina State Guard as a Brigadier General. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Well, I guess I don't have enough to do with share. So <laughs> you get any yeah. sleep, sir, or what? After 9-11, I think everybody looked on how they could serve. Yes. One way to serve was to join the State Guard, and I've been fortunate to go through the ranks now to where I'm commander of it. And it's, it's a thousand um, citizens that uh, have volunteered to be the South Carolina State Guard, and you know, when it was formed in 1670, it was a war fighting uh, group. Now, the, our enemy today is Mother Nature. That's usually who we get called out sure. when there's a natural disaster. And our soldiers go out and provide the services that need to. The governor will activate us and call us out, and the soldiers go out, and we protect property and we protect people. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, for the last four years, it's been Mother Nature that we've had to fight. So yeah. we, we won't go to war. 
uh, to a foreign country and, and fight people. But right here in our state, we're going to fight whatever comes here, and it's usually going to be Mother Nature. So yeah, I'm right. fortunate to lead a, a thousand soldiers there. And uh, again, it's, it's it's just my way of serving the community. Well, appreciate your service, sir. And South Carolina is a beautiful state. I was stationed many years ago down at uh, Fort Bragg in North Carolina, and I love uh, the Carolinas, sir. Good place, great place. Sheriff Lott, when you talk about the culture, uh, can you talk about how important it is? Because uh, I know on my show I got a lot of uh, guests on that talk about uh, mindfulness, you know, um, physical fitness. How important uh, is physical fitness when it comes to, I mean, I, I think that's a no-brainer. A lot of people realize or should realize, especially in law enforcement, how important it is. But I think people kind of lose their way uh, once they get on a job for a certain amount of time. Can you, can you reemphasize the importance of physical fitness? Uh, physical fitness is a requirement. If you're not in a basic physical condition, you can't protect yourself, your partner, or, or the citizens that we're supposed to be serving. So we require you to be in a you know, good physical condition. We not only require it, but we give you the means to do it. Uh, every deputy here has a membership to local gyms. We have our own CrossFit gym. So there's no excuse. <laughs> there's, no, there's no excuse. And really... Um, again, physically and mentally, we have to have our people prepared and, and do all we can. So it's, it's a requirement. They're, uh, they're tested physically. They have a program that they have to go through. And if you don't successfully make it, there's some um, you're held accountable for it and it, all the way up until losing your job. Yeah. Uh, so w- we require you to be physically fit, but we also give you the means to obtain that. But you have to care enough to, to participate. You have to care enough to go out and do it. Um, so Yeah, and it's just so much we, better. We try not to have any deputies that can't go out here and do their job. To me, being physically fit is part of a, is a requirement to be a deputy sheriff. And a lot of agencies, sir, you know, I mean, uh, they don't have any physical fitness requirement, at least where I'm from. Some agencies don't. It always baffled me. That, that they don't. I mean, you are a public servant. I think the public um, expect you to look a certain way. And again, it's going to make you perform better, right? If, you, if you're right. in. You get, you get one chance to make that first impression. Yeah, and exactly. If you're, if you're not physically fit uh, you know, to a certain level, then you lose that respect from the very first glance that somebody gives of you. And it, it changes their whole perception, not only of you, but of that agency. Yeah. So, you know, you, you have to look professional and you have to look professional and act professional. And part yeah. of that is being physically fit. Now, what's your, if you don't mind me asking, Sheriff, what's your, what's your uh, exercise routine? Five days a week in the morning at CrossFit gym. Oh, jeez. Jumping on, jumping on wooden boxes and stuff and doing, all, doing crazy stuff. And I'm not going to ask my people to do something that I won't do myself. Yeah. So I, I don't think that's fair and that's not good leadership if, now, if you're grossly overweight and you can't get out here and perform and then you require your people to do it, then that's not a good leader. So you never ask your people to do something that you won't go out and do yourself. Yeah, excellent, excellent, Sheriff. I mean, I, sage advice. Uh, and, again, very, very important that we all stay in shape uh, in law enforcement uh, because not only will you look good, but you'll feel better too. And, uh, again, we're living longer, Sheriff. And we're living live longer. longer. I mean, that's, that, that's part of – my job to protect the deputies is to make sure that you know they're in good health, and we require them every year to go get a physical. That yeah. that is a requirement to work here is you have to have a physical every year, 
to make sure that you don't have something hidden inside your body and some disease or problem that you don't know about. So that's part of being a deputy sheriff, too, is you got to have a physical every year. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to recover quickly from injuries, as you know, sir, uh, if you're in better shape. So, Sheriff Lott, thank you so much, sir, for, for coming on the show. Again, much success to you and your agency. Thank you so much your dedicated service over these many years many more to come sir what's uh, what's really quick what's what's the plan for you sir <laughs> uh, this is election year so i hope to uh, hope to continue another four years after elections over with this year well we'll send some prayers out for you sir you're doing an amazing job again thank you for your service much success to you and your troops and anything we can, we can do for you please reach out sir all right thank you all right sheriff thank you Thank you for joining us for this episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast. For more strategies for self-improvement and resources based on today's episode, be sure to head to cjevolution.com. You can also connect to Patrick directly on social media at Pat underscore Fitzgibbons with any questions, comments, or concerns. We look forward to helping you find more personal success on the next episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast.